loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Maria Lessi. Marie began a coaching career in 2011. After 10 years in advertising, she started a family with the love of her life and ventured onto the new path of self-development. Little did she know that these seven years of helping and inspiring others would be the armor to face life's biggest adversity. She unexpectedly lost her husband and the father of her kids, her two, two boys, in June 2018 to a brain aneurysm. Using her own tools and strong intuition, she designed her way back to happiness and founded her movement, Loving Life After Loss, which now creates impact on the soul level around the world with, with her empathy and understanding, which you'll hear as I talk with her on air. She picks up her clients wherever they are and helps to guide their unique journey, supporting them to make the choices that, that are theirs to make. And uh, that seems key, Marie, the idea that we have some choices to make even in dire circumstance. So yes. welcome. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I'm very honored to be here. Very honored to have you. Uh, of course, I think the, the logical place to start, though, is with, uh, we, we want to get on to talking about kind of how you favored your resiliency, how you, how you found your way back to joy and happiness, but the story would not be complete without what happened and the impact on you. So let's start there. Uh, yeah. Can you tell the story some of, of the loss of your husband and kind of how life was before and, you yeah. know, what it, what it was when that happened? Of course. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be happy to. So our life before was like literally uh, picture perfect. And I'm, I'm saying that like wholeheartedly, not just on Facebook. We really truly had a very, very loving relationship. You know, we were known as that couple and, uh, um, yeah, Rob and I were very in tune, very happy. You know, our boys, we, we loved going to the beach, spend a lot of time there. Uh, we live like six, six kilometers from the beach. So, um, you know, we, we had a barefoot wedding on the beach. We just loved being near the ocean and in the water. And my husband was a very keen surfer and loved diving, typical Aquarius, you know, he loved being mm. in the water. And um, he worked for a big tool company um, and and traveled a lot. And that one day, you know, he had to fly out to the other side of the country for a business trip for five days. And, and uh, it was a Sunday and he usually caught the train because it's just such an easy thing for us to do. We live 200 meters from the train station and the train goes directly to the airport. So we all walked into the train station, which we often did when we were around. And, you know, being a Sunday, the boys, boys weren't at school. And I remember we were walking hand in hand, you know, to the station, all completely idyllic, saying goodbye to him at the train station. And what got to me actually was that um, my older son started crying too. And I thought that was really bizarre because my little son really didn't deal well with Rob being away. So he usually cried when Rob left. But when my older son started crying too, 
something inside me got really touched and it was almost like a bit of an alarm sign that I didn't want to listen to. But I, I remember recognizing it, thinking that is odd. So I took a couple of pictures of him and the boy standing there. And then as the, dra- uh, as the train rolled out of the station, I remember taking a picture of the train feeling, I'm going to share this picture. And I don't know why it was a really bizarre feeling. And so I spoke to him when he arrived and I spoke to him the day after and I didn't know that the day after when we said goodnight, it would be the last time that I'd hear from him. And, uh, you know, several things stand out, including something I know about your story from from reading the the book you wrote, which is that you had a very strong drive to move to Australia. You're you're Austrian, (laughs) yes? Uh, that's and that's where you met him and made a life with him. Yes. So you mm-hmm. already had a life in which um, rather uh, magical or serendipitous things yeah. happened, and so I imagine that although that was more of a of a I guess we could say negative uh, intuition, a, a yeah. sense of concern. That was so not true. out of line with things that have that had been true yeah. in your life, yes? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a huge part of the story, actually. That's uh, I always followed my intuition. You know, I always had quite a strong intuition and moving to Australia was one of those things I just knew I had to do. And many people thought I moved here because of Rob, but I moved here 10 months before I met him. So I had this plan or this, I should say, this vision, this this wish, it was actually a wish to start with when I was about 17 to move to Australia. And then it took me um, till I was about 25. That was the first time I actually came here. And it took me another seven years to actually move to this country and to make it, you know, to find a legal way into the country. And uh, yeah, I did. And with a working visa and I came here and 10 months later, I met Rob and another 10 months later, we were married. And if anybody would have told me that, I would get married to a man that I only just met ten months before. I would have. That wasn't him. that wasn't really you previously, huh? <laughs> no. So I thought, if, if he's really Mr. Right, he'll still be Mr. Right in two to three years. There's no rush, you know. And um, <laughs> but yeah, when I met Rob, I just knew it was so clear and so beautiful and uh, really, really in tune. There was just a lot of love, you know. It's so mysterious and kind of magical, huh? Yeah. But not so much when I've I've had that kind of um, precognitive experience a few times in my life or yeah. knowing things there wasn't a way to know that turned out to be true in the negative category. And that's a little frightening, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Um, it is because I believe that the thing that I struggled with the most, like in that very moment without really consciously thinking about it, but I, I did have a thought about that and I remembered it later on. And then also after Rob passed, um, to get to a point where you can actually distinguish between intuition and fear. Yes. And your brain goes like, you no, can't actually, you want to, you want to push it away. But then when it actually happens, you're like, oh, my God, I just saw this and now it's happened. It's, it's, it's scary, you know. It is scary. And the fact is you could only put it in that kind of context retrospectively. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kids cry when their dads leave, right? Yeah. It, was, it was a little out of character, but 
I, I know if that had been me, I might have been thinking, oh, he's showing his feelings, you know, yeah, <laughs> if he was yeah. the more reticent one. So um, we don't know what to do just because we have, a, uh, of an in, have an intuition always yeah. Yeah. <laughs> noticed. Exactly. So, and, and what could I have done differently anyway? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. In your case, nothing, I would imagine. Was, I mean, he had a work nothing. trip, he was going to yeah. go. And then there's also sort of uh, the, the fact that it most likely wouldn't have made a big difference, I'm no. guessing, just knowing what I know about what happened. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, the, the thing that was different, though, is that then uh, there was a period of time where you couldn't reach him and you didn't know what had yes. happened, yeah, uh, which so can be so grueling. I've, I went through that with my father, so I, yeah. I, uh, it's familiar to me. Can, can you yeah. talk about that space, yeah. space of time? Um, I would love to answer that question a little bit uh, in a little bit longer way, but I'll try to get to the point, okay? <laughs> because the most beautiful thing for me was that the night before he died uh the last time i talked to him he talked to me about a couple he had met um going out for dinner he said he was standing in line waiting for a table started chatting to his couple and they insisted that he would sit with them and although he was super tired they were really persistent and said no look you're eating alone come and sit with us you know what was one of those people people met him and just loved him uh -huh. and he told me that the whole night because he said it was such a young couple he was talking about love and connection and he taught them about the love languages and what's important in a relationship and he said you know what i walked away feeling that i've given them a lot to think about and something really beautiful for the start of the young relationship and that was the last thing we talked about love and connection it was something that was always very very present in our lives and i just loved that that was the last thing he did and um and anyway, also that then yeah. then also that he then told you about it because yeah. what i hear in that there is um we have this and i had something yes. to offer yes and he yes. said that he said all night i was bragging about you babe and it, it was just he was always really proud of me and, and told everyone about me and us and what i do and who i am and our relationship he was never shy to actually really showcase our love for each other which i really really adored about him and uh, then the next day he was supposed to wake me up at seven thirty because there was something going on with my phone. He couldn't update. He said, just leave it plugged in overnight. And I said, but I need it as an alarm. He said, don't worry, I'll wake you. And he was supposed to wake me at 7.30. And I remember waking up, looking at my alarm clock, and it was 7.31. And I had this sting in my heart. And I ignored it. And I went about my day because, you know, being a mom, having two boys, having to get them ready for school. Then my little one woke up sick. So he was staying home. So I went into you know, mom mode straight away. But in the back of my mind, it kept niggling, thinking, why didn't he call me? And it is so significant because Rob was never late and Rob would never let me down. When he said he would call me, he would. And if he says 7.30, it would be 7.30 on a dot. And nothing happened. And that went on and on for the whole day. And the longer I didn't hear from him, the worse my feeling got. And I like just... You know, you, you start trying to find excuses in your head. You know, what might have happened that he lost his phone in the cab or left it in the hotel. And you just pile on these excuses. But at the same time, my, my anxiety levels were rising and I had to calm them down because I had my little one home and I didn't want to worry him about his dad.
And that's hard to maneuver, having mm. lived with little ones myself. Um, yeah. How to be, uh, you, you seem intent on being truthful with them, but also not yeah. not overwhelming them. Yeah. And um, so obviously you, you must have been having to do stuff kind of all day to try to figure it out. Yes. Without, yeah. you know, without uh, setting off his alarm bells. Yeah. Uh, but that must have been uncharacteristic for him too. Like I'm guessing, for instance, this is just, just, just a fantasy on my part, but I'm guessing typically if he was homesick yeah. and your husband was out of town, yeah. he would have maybe FaceTimed him or, you know, been yeah. in touch in some way. It must have been unusual for him as well. Yeah, well, that part was relatively easy because when he was away and he had meetings, uh, he wouldn't ask about that. He, they would rather usually talk and FaceTime at night and that was the usual uh, procedure. But, like, you know, obviously Rob didn't know. Um, that sounds really weird when I say that Rob didn't know that Jet was sick because he had actually already passed at that stage, you know. Mm, so yes. um, uh, there was no sharing about that. But uh, I remember... Um, Rob used to have this thing that I kind of sometimes laughed about, not, not in a kind of making fun of him way, but I just thought, babe, nothing's going to happen to me. We're fine. But he had this thing when, whenever he went out for work somewhere or when I went out and to a networking function or did a talk somewhere, he would always say, let me know where you are in case something happens. And I was like, nothing's going to happen. But we always shared our locations where we are, you know, and, um, and then I remember when it came to about lunchtime or early afternoon and I still hadn't heard from him. And like by then my heart was just pounding. My mind was racing. I so tried to stay focused and calm for Jed, my little one. And I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't ignore it anymore. And then all of a sudden I had this epiphany where I'm like, Oh my God, the hotel, you know, why mm. did not think of that earlier? And uh, Rob had sent me his itinerary, so I went through um, to find. Uh, I actually googled the name of the hotel and re realized later it was already in my phone. But anyway, I found the number and I called them, and I, I remember telling them, you know, I said, "Please don't feel like I'm one of those freaked out wives." But I know my husband's staying with you, and I have this really awkward feeling that something happened to him. And um, and I said, he was supposed to call me in the morning and didn't. And it's meanwhile, early afternoon. I just need to know that he's okay. Can you please send somebody up to his room? And what I didn't share with them was that I had a vision of Rob collapsing in the shower. Mm. I had this vision. I saw him lying there. And again, I wasn't sure if that's just a freaked out moment of fear that you have, or was that really a vision? But to cut a long story short, that's exactly where they found him. He had collapsed in the shower. It's, a, it's an interesting thing with those kinds of strong intuitions, you know, how useful they are, how helpful, how much of a guide yeah. they are, and also how um, confusing they can be, and especially the ones you have close to your own heart. Yeah. Uh, they're hard to interpret, aren't they? Um, going back to what we said at the start, but, yeah. but it sounds as if you're frequently... Uh, correct in your visions, shall we yeah. say, or yeah. you know, they have some real power in your life. Yeah. Um, oh, already in, and we, we're just, you know, uh, at the very beginning, I feel as if you had some 
resiliency skills that were already coming into play mm. uh, yes. in the sense that you you could not just shut down but but kind of be experiencing what you were but also kind of taking care of your son and taking care of things is that you in general it's funny that you say that because I never saw myself as resilient I always felt like that uh, it's one of the many things I always said I really need to work on my resilience but what I've noticed more and more over the years actually even since my HSC that people always commented on my confidence and resilience but I always knew that it was so much stronger on the outside and I didn't really feel that on the inside. So I was quite good at appearing like that, but I didn't really feel that my inside was matching my outside, if that makes sense. It does I make sense. Like on the inside I was but you're, you're also talking about that in the past tense, like yeah. that, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's less Let's true now. <laughs> Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm projecting, but uh, but I know no, that you picked it up really that, well. <laughs> that my sense of my own strength just just um, uh, went through the roof. You know, the yeah. first thing that helped it go along was that was giving birth. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but still, yeah. in in relationships and managing my emotions, maybe still a little insecure until I went through my wife's illness and death yeah you know oh yeah. this is what i'm really made of you know yeah. kind of feeling so that yeah. was a bit true for you as well huh yeah no absolutely i, I couldn't agree more that's really yeah <laughs> you do you do find your strength <laughs> the dubious like I, gift <laughs> you know i do always talk about the hidden gifts in adversity and the two that really stand out for me the most were my strengths and I always knew that I was quite a strong woman, but, you know, nothing compared to when I lost Rob and the strength that I had to connect to. It was like it was already there, but mm. I really needed to connect to it to use. To, to depend on it differently, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I really needed to tap in its full power. That strength, I had never um, allowed it to fully come out, to fully connect to it. And I didn't realize it till I actually did it and went like, oh, my God, what a difference. You know, it's just mind-blowing. And the other one was my intuition. It really, it was always strong before, but it went through the roof after Rob died. Mm. It's time for a break. There's more to say about both those things. So let's take a break sure. and then come back to it. And listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. You can find a link to my novel, uh, uh, an ocean between them. It's it's about resiliency too, actually, and and uh, healing through difficult or after difficult circumstance. And to find Maria Lessi, you can go to marialessi.com or you can find her Facebook group, group Loving Life After Loss. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Marie Lessie whose husband died suddenly. Uh, she's written a book about it and uh, um, manages an online community called Loving Life After Loss. And Maria, before the break, you said the two things that changed the most in you were trusting your strength and trusting your intuition, yes. uh, which really resonated for me. I, I imagine you've probably heard about um, post-traumatic growth as a concept. Um, yeah. The, these things that change in us, you know, what I'll, what I'll say to my clients is, I don't think things happen so that we will learn for, for that, from them. <laughs> but, yeah. but since things happen, let's learn from them. Exactly. I could not agree more. <laughs> I love this. It's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's that same thing that we talk about or touched on, that, that concept of choices. You know, people say to me all the time, uh, well, I didn't choose this. Well, I didn't choose for my husband to die either, but I can choose how I respond to it and what I do with it. And that yes. is a huge concept. The, that's interesting because they can't get too far with you on that, can they? <laughs> no, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm living and breathing it. You know? it's like, I'm the living proof that you can do yeah. something positive. Yeah. They, they've kind of forgotten for a moment that you, you did absolutely mm. not choose this and yeah. but but that some things are still are still possible yeah exactly um so i wondered when when you found out he he had died you know obviously at first there's just a a sense of the hectic and yeah. the but uh, but i get the impression it was a focused hectic like you knew what you needed to do and yeah. even in terms of how to navigate this with your children. Yeah. Uh, 
which which I gave a lot of thought to. Maybe I didn't need to give it all that thought. Maybe I just would know what to do when it actually yeah. happened. But uh, you, you seem to have, I'm guessing it had to relate to your ordinary everyday value system, like telling the truth, not skirting yeah. around hard stuff. Uh, yeah. you, you seem to care about your kids' emotions and making room for them. A lot. Uh, so there was some groundwork laid, but still now you had to navigate them going in with you to say goodbye to Rob's body. And I wondered if that was yeah. something that was just so crystal clear or was it a little confusing to try to navigate their experience while being so in yours there are a lot of layers in in just those few things that you said it's, it's amazing uh, so i want to quickly pick that one out um yes there was a lot of groundwork laid and when people ask me about how did you navigate through that so clearly and so fast fast is always such a subjective um label you know what's fast what's not fast <laughs> i believe the eight years or eight plus years that i not only worked but also taught self-development uh, for me it's like having that fertile soil that you plant a seed in you know and i've done so much mindset work with myself and others that uh, obviously i had a very very different approach to everything but this is something that in theory always works a lot better than when you're hit with adversity on such a deep level. So um, I didn't have much time to think about how to approach that with the boys because when I found out, um, you know, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to read a very short uh, paragraph out of my book, How Absolutely. I Found Out. Uh, that Rob passed because I had um, talked to my best friend at the time and she said, have you called his boss yet? And I said, no. So I called him and I was waiting for him to call me back. And then he called me back and said, you know, I'm so sorry about Rob didn't pick up his phone and he didn't show up at the meeting. So as soon as he said he didn't show up at the meeting, he was supposed to, my heart sunk because I thought something really bad must have happened. Yes. So this is, this is um, uh, just a little paragraph from my book. Mom, Anya is at the door. The boys shout out. It rips me out of my thoughts and brings me back to now. Please let her in and send her upstairs. I call down. Anya comes upstairs. We hug. I update her on what James, Rob's boss, said to me earlier on the phone. Let's ring the hospital, she said. Which one? We start with the biggest one and work our way down. Anya's on the phone. The boys are still playing their iPads, oblivious to the emotional whirlwind that has taken my mind and heart in storm. I listened to Anya's inquiry about Rob Alessi being submitted today. A-L-E-S-S-I, she spells. My phone rings. The number is from Perth. My heart is pounding. Hello, Marie speaking. Hi, this is Sergeant such and such. I've planted out the name <laughs> from the mm -hmm. coroner's office. Am I speaking with Marie Alessi? Yes. Have you got somebody with you at the moment? Yes, I stare at Anya. I'm truly sorry to inform you that what, what, did he have an accident? Is he in hospital? The thoughts are rushing through my brain like an express train. Your husband deceased in a hotel room in Perth this morning. So that was such a heart-sinking feeling for me. And the moment he said those words, it was like somebody had pushed a pause button in my life and the world kept spinning. And 
I remember I was sitting there and I've got no idea, Cheryl, how long it actually took till I gathered my senses. And I looked at Anya and I said, I have to go and tell the boys. And she said, do you want me to take them? And I said, no, they have to be with me right now. I just went downstairs and they were sitting there. They had their Hapkido uniforms on and I was ready to take them to Hapkido, you know, before all that happened. And I just looked at them and I grabbed their hands and, and I, I said they need to put their iPads down, which usually, you know, results in just one round, just this, just that. And they <laughs> yes. just put it down because they could just feel, you know, it was so palpable in, in the air, that heaviness. They could see it in my face. And I thought in my, my brain was rushing and I thought the longer I prolong this, the harder it gets. And I just looked at them and said, this is probably the hardest thing I've ever got to tell you in your life. But daddy just passed away. And... <laughs> I'm still getting really emotional about this. This, this was such an intense moment because in those two, three seconds that I had to prepare while I was walking downstairs, I knew there'd be tears. I knew that'd be huge for them, but I did not expect the screaming. And mm. that was so heart-piercing. Yes. And they just screamed and cried and I just sat there and held them. And it was so intense. I'll never forget this. You know, uh, of course, I work with a lot of people who lost a parent as a child. They're grownups now. Yeah. And, it's, and it's never the loss, actually, that's the biggest part. It's the fact that people wouldn't be with them, yeah. wouldn't talk about the person, wouldn't, yeah. uh, weren't straight on about, you know, information. Uh, there's this cloudy sort of vague feeling all around it. Yeah. And um, I, I used to think that was kind of um, our society, you know, which in part mm. is true. But I, but I also think it's incredibly hard to navigate your child's grief when you yeah. are thrown over the cliff of grief yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, because everything interplays, right? Um, yeah. But I, I just want to acknowledge that that came out of things you had already developed with your mm -hmm. husband, I imagine, how you wanted to do parenting. Yeah. And um, I, I've, I, I applaud you for including them in the whole thing, including going to see his body, because yeah. I, I used to hear, you know, um, kids deny death and they'll mm -hmm. ask when the person's coming back and all that yeah. kind of thing. My children you know, never, never, ever did that. Yeah. They, you know, they, that is something, if you don't mind me saying something about this. Um, oh, you know, not at all. Because you asked me how we navigated through that. After, after that, like I literally, I went like, pick up your things. We're going to, uh, to Nana and Nono. So I knew I had to tell Rob's parents in person. There was no way I could deliver these news over the phone. And on the way there, I rang his brother and uh, his eldest brother and his younger sister. And the middle brother lived with his parents at the time. So I knew... I would see him there and I shared the news and Rob's dad was in a shower. So it was really hard because I wanted to have them all together. I didn't want to have to say it twice. And, and I had to say, because they were standing there and they knew something was wrong. If I woke up at like seven o'clock at night on a school night without ringing up front, they knew straight away something was bad, but not, you know, nobody expects this. That's right. So I had to tell them. And then I, I witnessed how his mom went into the bathroom because Rob's dad was in the shower and she told him and the same thing happened. I could listen to him scream behind the closed doors and it was so, so horrible. And I was just holding my kids and then all the relatives and friends were coming in and out. And it was like, like a, 
I don't know, it was like something was happening outside of me. I was in a different world. Mm. But I want to fast forward to the next day. We actually flew out to the other side of Australia the next day. We had a five-hour flight to get to where Rob was. And I knew in my heart that I had to do this with the boys because their dad had just gone on a five-hour plane ride and didn't come back. There was no way I could leave them with their grandparents and me going on a plane ride without them. But there was no way. I knew in my heart I had to take them and I knew in my heart that I needed to give them the chance to see their dad for a final time because they needed that for closure. That was just, again, a very strong intuition that I had to follow. And people had offered me to come with me and I knew I I could not handle anybody around me. We were, from the first moment we got the news, it was like somebody had pushed us even closer together or pulled us, I should say. It wasn't even a pushing. It was like a vacuum. We were like drawn to each other so close. Exactly. Oh, that's exactly yeah. the sound I would have made. I love it. And uh, so we were sitting on this plane, you know, bawling. Like I was crying pretty much all of the five hours. And I had told the flight attendants what happened because I used to work as a flight attendant. I thought they need to know because otherwise they go like, what, what's wrong? They're going to get worried when you're mental, you know. They're bawling. <laughs> So I told them what happened. They were so beautiful. They looked after us the whole flight. And then we had to wait for another day. And I was so lucky that our previous neighbors had moved there. So they took us in. We were there for three days with them. I Really, the last thing I wanted was to stay in a hotel room where, you know, my husband had just died in a hotel room. I mm-hmm. didn't want to do that for us, for the boys. So they took us in. And the next morning, we went to the mortuary. And I gave them the choice whether they wanted to come inside with me or wait outside, but both of them felt they needed to go in. And the night before, all of a sudden, again, it was another intuition that went like, you have to prepare them, what's going to happen? Because when my dad passed and I went into the hospital, his body was still warm, but I knew us coming there two days later, he'd be right. cold. And, and it, it just, since he'd also been yeah. in, the, in the refrigeration Yes. Exactly. And that's yeah. all of a sudden I had this tell them about what's going to happen. And I did. So if you don't mind, I want to share another very short paragraph from the book, how, how that happened when we walked in. Absolutely. And, um, I'm sorry, let me just quickly, here it is. So we walked into this mortuary and, and here it goes. The room is spacious and clinical. A curtain separates us from where Rob's body is laid out. We step past the curtain and there he is. Rob looks very peaceful. I asked the sergeant to make sure that there was no bruising in his face from the fall so the boys would not be faced with an unbearable memory. I hesitate before I put my hand on his forehead, like I had done uncountable times in my life. The coldness shocks me more than I expected. I had prepared Flynn and Jet, yet I was not ready to feel his body so cold. Why are daddy's ears blue and red, Jet concerns, Chet's concern echoes gut-wrenchingly in his voice. It's because he's cold, but he cannot feel it anymore. Daddy doesn't feel any pain. This is just his body. His soul has gone to heaven. And then a little bit further, I'm going to uh, fast forward to this part. I kissed Rob one more time on the forehead, wondering how I can ever leave this place. When Flynn speaks up, Mom, I think we should go. The longer we stay, the sadder we will get. I'm yet again blown away by the intuitive wisdom this child carries within him. You're right, Flynn. I hug them and after a moment of hesitation, we leave. So, 
yeah, I, I just could not believe standing there thinking, how would I ever cut this off now? How can we leave this room and leave this body behind? I knew this was so final and such a defining yes. moment. And then Flynn took over and said that. And I was like, oh, my God, I just adore you for your wisdom. You're just so beautiful. <laughs> he was born ahead of his age. He was only 10 at the time when he said that, you know, and it just blew me away. Well, it's it's interesting, too, because I had a, a very um, intense need to um, be involved in the process of what happened with my wife's body. Yeah. And, and in fact, that's the thing we're most losing, the person being in that body, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't uh, I didn't even right away feel a sense of loss of her as much as yeah. no more body. Yeah. Um, and so it makes sense that that's, you know, closure in terms of the relationship. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, usually doesn't happen, but closure mm. with that body does. Yeah. So that's when you really hit up against that, huh? Yeah. And my love language is physical touch and quality time. So not being able to hug him anymore, that was huge. Huge. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, this, this is really, to my mind, still a recent loss but um you um you know obviously my perspective is 25 years but (laughs) even if it wasn't uh, and yet you pretty quickly uh i guess i want to say decided on um keeping joy in your life making your life beautiful and when we get back from this coming break that's really what I want to talk about because that's what catapulted yep. you into the work yes, you're doing. Yes. And, um, <laughs> you know, but you're, uh, sometimes people have that epiphany right away. Sometimes it takes a while to get there. Yeah. And I want to hear your process of getting to uh, inviting happiness and joy and also, you know, how you did it because yeah. I think uh, people have such a rough time yeah. uh, feeling okay about doing it and then doing it. So when we get back, we'll talk about that. I'm looking forward to sharing it. And and listeners, you can go to my website, weatherandgrief.com, the Good Grief Host page. Uh, please be in touch. I want to know what you enjoy, what what touches you, what you'd like to hear more of. And to find Maria Lessie, you can go to marialessie.com or, or to her Facebook group, Loving Life After Loss. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent. Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. 
Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Maria Lessie about the work she does, uh, finding joy and happiness after loss, which came about after the death of her husband. And, um, you know, Marie, one thing I was saying during the during our break that uh, bears repeating on air is just mm-hmm. that uh, I find that um, for most people and not all, I know there are resilient uh, grievers, resilient as in they don't have a lot of, huge feelings overtake them and all that. But um, mm-hmm. for the for those of us that do, uh, I feel there's something about letting those things happen that, that maybe helps us navigate towards joy and happiness again. Yeah. Uh, and I wondered if you agree with that. And maybe you can talk about how, how you made that choice and what helped you go yeah. forward with that choice in your life. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be happy to. So first of all, um, you know, Rob was the one person who actually taught me about the concept of two choices, which was quite phenomenal because that was way before I even started my journey into self-development and became a coach. And he always said, you know, you've got two choices every single day to focus on the positive or the negative. And I loved that he used to do that with me um, over the years, even when I was a coach myself, you know, he said, uh, um you know, where where are your choices? He always reminded me of that. And I absolutely love that. So when I stood in front of 500 plus people, I read a eulogy for Rob. That was pretty much uh, quite unexpected for what people probably usually do. I shared a message about love and connection and about the concept of two choices. And I, I remember standing there feeling a strength that was blowing everyone else and me away. You know, I'm standing there looking at all these people and say, I choose love over sadness and happiness over bitterness. This is the choice I knew I needed to make for me, for the boys. I knew this was my only way forward. However, there was a moment shortly after, um, after the funeral where everything seems to just crumble and it was like a whole house falling uh, over my head and just burying me. And, if you don't mind, I'm going to share another little yes, story absolutely. from my book, uh, that very moment when that happened. So I'm in the kitchen and the boys are starting to argue about something trivial. Of course, not trivial to them, but I hear myself beg, please stop fighting. I cannot handle this right now. It doesn't stop. A myriad of words comes gushing out of my mouth and it's like a storm that has been brewing behind thick clouds, unnoticed and invisible, yet so powerful, no force could hold it back anymore. 
my voice builds up and I cannot make it stop anymore. I just need peace and quiet. I finally shout in desperation louder and louder, the same sentence over and over again. It's as if I had opened a window to a dark place in my soul and the fire that had been burning within gets this burst of oxygen from this one sentence like fuel that explodes it into the hottest flame. I watch myself in disbelief about how this is unfolding so abruptly and what is happening to me. I have never felt this out of control in my entire life. And it's like I'm watching myself collapse in the kitchen, on the kitchen floor, screaming on the top of my voice. I just need peace and quiet, holding on to the kitchen cupboards, almost ripping them out as I'm whacking them, translating my helplessness into rage and banging the doors as loud as I can, my voice breaking and overlapping, yet I cannot stop myself from screaming out for help. My voice pierces in anger, frustration and passion pain top pitch no more words just shrieking and screaming then it's quiet i'm sitting on the kitchen floor scared beyond words staring at the scratches this hurricane of emotions has left behind on the cupboard doors horror scenarios are running through my head so that was my nervous breakdown you brought back quite a similar moment with my then two and a half year old yeah uh where you know i did so so well in the quiet yeah but um if there was especially if there was um friction yeah it was hard. Yeah, <laughs> it was hard absolutely. to hard to handle. She once, um, my mother was quite fastidious, and she once mm. turned a cup of orange juice over in my mother's car. Yeah, the, the two and a half year old, yeah. and I almost couldn't keep myself together. Yeah. In fact, I kind of freaked out when we got in the house, yeah. you know. And my fourteen year old saying, "Mom, chill. It's not that bad," you know. Yeah. So I recognize what you're talking about. But I don't find that to be uh, in opposition to what you said at the at the memorial either. Yeah. At the funeral. That there's some way our hearts are just so open that whatever is there comes out, uh, I guess. Yes. For me, for me, Cheryl, it's the biggest the most profound concept that I'm teaching now in my movement, Loving Life After Loss, is the concept of allowing. Yet when it comes to allowing and grief in that combination, most people think about the tears and the falling apart, but it's all of it. It's not just that. It's also the joy and the happiness and the love. I really teach because I find it so profound that you need to allow everything back into your heart you can't just say yes to the falling apart and say no to the joy a lot of people are hit with guilt but this this has got no space here who who's the guilt serving no one our loved ones certainly don't want us to feel guilty about feeling joy and it is literally just keeping us stuck when we hold on to the guilt or when we hold on to the grief. And that's actually something I talked to our mutual friend Jennifer about the other day in an interview. I said it's the focusing on the grief that we think that's our only connection, but it actually does the complete opposite. It disconnects us. But when we focus on the connection that we have with a loved one, then there is no space for guilt. And that's where we feel most of the love and the joy when we focus on the connection and the memories. Mm. 
rather than for sure and the present connection but i was very aware that that we share um many blessings in common um i i i wasn't in the most dire economic circumstance yeah uh it wasn't great but it wasn't terrible (laughs) you know uh i had love around me i had people who loved me the relationship had been there's there was nothing i regretted about it it was good and um and there's almost a sense at least for me and i and i want to hear if this is true for you um it would have been a a sort of a dishonoring to become a negative person (laughs) i said the exact same thing i agree uh, it, it feels to me as if, you know, what I've made out of that loss is an honoring of the person I lost and the love yeah. that we we had, you know. Yeah. Uh, does that seem true to you too? For, Absolutely. For, for me, like focusing on joy and love and happiness in my life was honoring who Rob was and who we were as a couple, you know. And I actually want to get to the point, if you don't mind, I'd I'd love to share with you what I did with that. So when that happened, I knew I had to see someone. I knew I needed help. And I found this really beautiful positive psychologist who's also in my group now and I I do regular interviews with her, uh, Emily May. And I work with her and because of my background in self-development, every session with her was like a fast forward. I had so many epiphanies and it was like a sitting in an express train of self-development in my heart and in my thoughts. (laughs) Grief is like that sometimes. (laughs) And then, you know, we talk about the expectations that people put on you, how you're supposed to grieve, how long you're supposed to grieve, how intense, how often you need to cry, how you need to fall apart. And all these expectations are completely useless and not helpful at all when you go through the process because it doesn't allow you to go at your own pace no matter if that's slower or faster than other people expect so i remember her asking me and she's so beautiful because she just holds space like no other and she was so calm and she looked at me and goes like so what does grief actually mean to you marie and the first word that came up was empowerment and that was really unexpected and the moment i said that to her i knew I had to write a book about it. And that's how this whole book, Loving Life After Loss, came about, where I share how I met Rob, how I fell in love with him, how we got married, how I lost him and how I dealt with it. And throughout this process, that was really healthy for me to write it all down. And the actual book, it took me about 15 hours of actual writing time to put this together because it just, it was just like flowing through me. And once I had done that, I took the boys traveling around the world because I knew I wanted to get them away from all these first milestones without Rob, you know, the first Christmas and and New Year's and both their birthdays are in January. And um, Rob and I had actually planned to go traveling around the world, but we had not shared these plans with anyone at that stage. And I thought I can do a condensed version of that. And I took them around the world for two months. And as I was overseas back in Vienna where I was born I remember that moment in in my um, in the guest room where I was staying at my mom's place where I realized I have to call Mark Bonis I just I just I, I did an interview with him the year prior and learned about his work and how he helps people building tribes and sharing his message um, and, and sharing your message, you know, he, he just has this massive vision of impacting millions of people around the world. And I loved his vision. And I knew that what I started with this book 
has to be built into a movement. And that was the whole birth story of making Loving Love After Loss, the book, into a movement. And I started that in March last year. So it's not even been a year and it's grown to close to 2,000 people by now. And it's just phenomenal because in this movement, it's all about that loving life after loss. I found that so suitable to keep that title because it's like a pre-selector for those people who come in. You know, some part of them wants that. Otherwise, they wouldn't join the group. <laughs> right. So, uh, I, I, uh, someone brought me a marketing tip. Uh, when I first started this show, yeah. they said, they said um, you're not looking for the people who don't agree with you. Mm. Looking for the people who agree with you that you can take a little further. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love this. Oh, my God. I'm going to write this down. Don't fight to convince anyone. <laughs> exactly. Because you want people who want that change, who want to heal, who want to have love and joy back in their lives, and not those who want mm. to stay stuck in grief. You know, and, and there is so many group support groups, support under quotation marks, out there with hundreds and thousands of people in them that focus on the suffering and on the loss rather than the healing and the joy. But there's so much of it. And I don't understand why we don't allow ourselves to see all of it. I'm not saying negate the yes. suffering and the loss and, and the pain. I'm saying allow all of it. But I do think there's some extra things you can add to the suffering and the loss and the pain. Yes. For instance, self-criticism. Yeah. Or, yeah. or believing that what you're experiencing is um, crazy, yeah. which is another kind of self-criticism, self-judgment. Yeah. Those things to me really gum up the works. Yeah. Uh, and so... I do think it matters that you and I both had experiences of getting past that before we had these losses. Some mm. people have to face that after the loss, right? Yeah. <laughs> All those kind of um, self-defeating voices. And I do think that makes it a lot harder. Do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. And I always say our mind is so powerful and it's our choice whether we let it destroy us or lift us up because we can control our thoughts. It might not seem simple at first, but it's literally just by small steps. And I always, I'm going to share one little tool that I use all the time in all of my courses and everything I do and everything I teach, uh, the focusing on love. And people go like, what, what do you mean focus on love? I just lost my husband. I'm like, okay. But I challenge you to walk outside, even just try with one hour. I usually say one day, but even if you feel that's too much, just do it for one hour just walk outside into the world and focus on love and see how much love you can actually see in the world. If that's like a couple holding hands, if that's a mom uh, lifting out her baby of the car, if that's a, a checkout chick at Coles <laughs> or at your local supermarket smiling at you, uh, there are so many, so many little signs of love around the world well, all the time. And if you focus on that, you know, Yes. Over a short period of well, time, and, and we're, we're also talking about focusing on the love that that results in the grief. Yes, grief is is the cost of love. Let's face yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, okay. that's a great place to end for the day. Thanks so much, Maria. I hope people will go look for your group and your book. And um, I really enjoyed the hour. 
Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed our chat as well. And uh, just so, just to say one last time, you can find Maria at marialessie.com or your, her Facebook book, Facebook group, <laughs> Love Life After Loss. Next week, I'll have Stephen Grant. After two of his children died of overdoses, he became impassioned about offering alternatives for addiction, people addicted. And we'll talk about that and, and also the nonprofit he founded in their names. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.